Welcome to the Aftershock. I'm Phil Leva alongside Alex Morgan, Colin Etnire, and Asher Cohn. After being down 3-1 to one at the break, guys, the Quakes come roaring back to get three points against Austin FC on the road. Incredible and entertain, incredibly entertaining game. Um, Colin, we're going to go to you first today for your initial thoughts regarding the outcome of the match. What do you think, man? Wild. Uh, it's interesting. We have... Uh, we've had two experiences that Almeida this season. He actually, for a period of time, kind of, it seemed like he decided to abandon a lot of the Almeida principles that we had kind of come to be used to. It was all about solid defense. The man marking system started to kind of fade into the background. Um, and the problem was they weren't generating quality chances on the other end. In these last couple of games, particularly this one, it seems like it's the exact opposite. We're going back to the chaos merchants, um, and it really honestly did not look good in the first half. They did snag a goal, but overall looked quite poor. Uh, but then the chaos ended up winning and it was a rock fight and they're, you know, they're primed for that. Uh, and Shofis has clearly grown into himself to being a, a huge contributor to this team. I, I, you know, he, his talent won't be there, that type of player. It's not going to be, you know, a hat trick every game. Um, but that type of player is who you need to kind of unlock games. Uh, and and that was really special. Uh, they need to find some kind of happy medium uh, between winning chaotic 4-3 rock fights and having some solid defense. Yeah, uh, certainly a tale of two halves there, Colin. I mean, there was one yellow card issued by Baldomero Toledo in the first half, and then we had nine yellow cards issued in the second half. So that should tell you a lot about how this game went. Um, let's kick it over to Alex Morgan next. Alex, what are, what are your thoughts regarding the match? Yeah, Phil, I didn't think it could get any more crazy or wild or chaotic than San Jose's 3-4 to four loss uh, to Real Salt Lake on Wednesday. But I think this game just about topped it uh, between the seven goals and the just wild, crazy uh, refereeing tonight. I mean, Baltimore Toledo completely lost control of that game. It felt very dangerous by the end of the game. And I was surprised by the intensity of the rivalry between the two teams. I mean, the last time they met, it was a scoreless draw and it felt rather subdued. This was the complete opposite. Uh, you had some pretty bloodthirsty challenges uh, traded between the two teams. Brad Stuver absolutely should have been sent off for Austin FC. And I can only imagine uh, what it would have been like if Matias Almeida were, was on the touchline tonight. He was obviously suspended uh, after uh, a red card that was given to him after the, the game against Real Salt Lake. So he wasn't on the touchline. Um, but I, I, I would love to know the thoughts running through his head during that second half because uh, it was wild. It was chaotic. And as Colin says, it, it feels like this is a new phase of the season for the Quakes. How uh, for the last six weeks or so, they've been super defensive, trying to control games. Uh, they'd only allowed a few goals. And these last two games, they've completely abandoned that. Uh, they've embraced the chaos. Uh, and it's really incredibly entertaining to watch. I mean, 14 goals in the last two games is just ridiculous, Phil. Uh, and so, yeah, it's 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 hard to process uh, two crazy games like this back to back. Yeah, seven goals in each match. That is pretty incredible to consider. Um, Asher, your thoughts regarding the the match? Yeah, um, 
confusion mostly um i i really don't get why i don't watch a ton of austin but i don't get why josh wolf took off um musa at half they were really doing a really good job playing through the center forward and then just kind of seeded the game to san jose in the second half um and then san jose up a man just seeded the game right back for the last 20 minutes um I like rock fight. That seems to really suit it. Uh, it didn't really seem like a ton of intentionality from San Jose, but there were some really bright spots. Uh, they got the point of the road, got a really nice, uh, might have a PK solution with trophies. And uh, yeah, it gets some momentum after getting a blessed week off to kind of like collect our thoughts and cool down as a fan club after the last uh, hectic, hectic week we've had. Yeah, and I, I feel like uh, the impact that Chofis has had in this, these last two games can't be understated. It's pretty incredible. I mean, he's literally carried the team on his shoulders. Not literally, but he has carried the team on his shoulders, right? He had the hat trick last match. He gets two goals this match. On his narrow match. shoulders. His, <laughs> yeah, certainly you could not literally do that at all. But um, but Chofis, it, what's interesting is in this match, he was like, if you take a look at the formation, the starting formation, he was uh, tip, like actually underneath the striker, right, playing centrally. But we saw him drift a lot to the right side, which Jamin mentioned last show. Like that's probably where we're going to see him most effective is playing on the wing and going in centrally. We also saw some um, really great delivery from uh, dead ball situations from Chofis as well. He nearly got another Olympico. He put another one on frame. Um, he tried. So he tried. He definitely he tried. tried for that. He did. He's got the confidence to do it. He's playing more confidently than we've seen him all season. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, unless I missed a sub here. He played a full 90 minutes this match as well. After No, okay, so he got subbed earlier in the match. Okay, so thank you. It was you. for Andy Rios again. That's uh, right. It was Andy Rios again. Okay. But he does he does go quite the distance once again, considering the fact that he played on Wednesday, uh, comes you know flies over to Austin and gets a lot of minutes again. It makes a, a large impact for the team. So... Um, I don't know whoever whoever wants to to, to give their thoughts on Chofis. I'm going to go ahead and toss it up because I think like this is the one spot where we have to start our conversation regarding the analysis of the match here. I'll grab this just because I've been a long term Chofis believer, um, even when he didn't look quite so good early in the season. A technical player who's capable of beating his man on the dribble and is capable of of playing a creative pass that unlocks other attackers. And by the way, he also has, in addition to those talents, he is the end product of being able to score in a couple of different ways. Uh, that's rare. That's a rare skill set. And even if he's not the very best at it in the league, each team that's good has a player like that that they play through. You know, it's the Zeller Ion at in Columbus. It's the Nico Ladero in Seattle. It's, you know, that kind of player. You need somebody like that. Uh, and quite frankly, if he's going to play at this type of level, even somewhat regularly, then his contract is a steal because that's uh, that's a contribution that's worth its weight in gold because it's the rarest skill set that you have in soccer. Uh, and it's something that transcends scheme. Um, and I but I, so I think that that's kind of where it starts here is, you know, and his his talent level hasn't actually been doubted at any point, even at Chivas when he wasn't playing. You know, the 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 book on him was. He's got the skill. He's got the talent. It's just about, you know, will he focus on soccer? Will he have his mentality right with respect to the game? And it looks like he has it here. So, you know, look, uh, if I understand correctly, the Quakes, he has six months of his contract left to run after the San Jose uh, season ends. They have an option to pick up a loan for that six months, at which point he'll be out of contract and San Jose can presumably offer him a full contract at that point. You know, this is a no brainer for me. 
the best position for him is whatever position he can play that allows him to be kind of defensively not having that many responsibilities and offensively can be very fluid. Uh, in certain formations, that's going to be the right wing. Uh, in other formations, it's a 10. It seems like most modern managers, the tactics are shifting away from having a true number 10, uh, and therefore the right wing probably makes the most sense going forward. You know, you can imagine if they have a, you know, three at the back system, having a three at the front, like a three, four, three, he's the very natural fit there. Um, he's been the Quake's best player for a while. And that's, you know, given that they haven't been scoring very effectively, you need to run things through a player like that. Uh, and by the way, you also need to ride through it when things aren't quite so good, because for players like that, there's going to be games where they're not as effective. Uh, but they they kind of need the the support and the confidence to ride through those to get you know the good and the bad. Yeah, and we talked about that a bit in uh, in one of our last shows, which is you know uh, if a player has a, a performance that isn't necessarily their best performance, you have other guys on the team that can step up and and help to propel them forward and push them through that. But um, we're going to move over to Asher now. Um, Asher, you have some thoughts on on Chofis as well that you'd like to share. Yeah, um, mostly Eden Crow. I've been a longtime Trophy Stouter. I know um, our patron and uh, sometimes translator Marcelo has uh, given me grief a lot for doubting him, especially this past week. Um, it's been incredible watching a team that uh, just when they don't know what to do with the ball, they give it to him and it works out, uh, you know, two or three times a game at this point. It's um I think as Colin says, something like Zellerana is something that top-tier teams need that sort of player. And it seems like Trophies can definitely be that sort of guy in this league. Um, it's incredible to watch him play with confidence. It's a, a blast to watch him as someone who likes watching the Earthquakes. Um, yeah, I really hope that he can stick around and they can make it a long-term solution. It seems like he's enjoying his time here, as he said, the last press conference. And it's... Um, you know, for a team that doesn't have the offensive, the attacking deliberativeness that they've had in years past, they um, who needs that when you have trophies? It seems it seems yeah. like something they can really get to work for them. Yeah, certainly, uh, Colin. Uh, it looks like Chofis's contract is running through uh, June of of uh, next year. That's that's right. Okay, so the, they have until then. That's when the loan ends, and they have that amount of time to. Uh, offer him a new contract. Uh, and it sounded like, as you mentioned, Asher, just to, to restate here that Chofis, uh, considering what he said during the press conference on Wednesday, he certainly wants the team to buy it up, to buy him and, and he wants to be a, a permanent member of the club as well. Um, Alex, uh, your thoughts regarding regarding Chofis's performance and um, and his impact on the team during the last during this match? Yeah, I, I just think that the second half was sort of a game situation that really suited him. I think that at that point, especially after the red card, all strategy, all tactics, all planning was kind of out the window. And it was really a matter, it felt like, of will and sort of talent. And for trophies, it was the ability to pop up in spaces uh, that were free and, and at the right time. And uh, he did that really well. And that's one of the things that makes him so talented is the ability to uh, get in the right space at the right time, beat a couple of defenders, uh, and that's it. That's all it takes to change the game. And that's exactly what he did tonight. Uh, and his set pieces also, I think, have just been fantastic the last couple of games. It feels like the Quakes are finally dangerous from offensive corners. For the longest time, they really haven't uh, been dangerous from set pieces, but now they have two goals from corners in their last two games and uh, every ball that Chofis whips in 
uh, with that rough foot feels dangerous. It feels like an opportunity for the Quakes to convert. Uh, and that's really promising. Uh, that's something that be, they've been working on for a, a long time, for months, if not years, uh, is to improve their offensive set pieces. And uh, finally, it feels like that work is coming to fruition. And I think that's in large part thanks to Trophies. I'd like to move over to uh, the, top, the top of the formation here. Um, I'm looking at a comment that John Jay put into YouTube. He says, Kikanovich was good tonight. Great assist to Christian. Um, that's something that I actually wanted to mention uh, and, and have a quick discussion about as well, because losing Jeremy Abobasi to the head injury, um, that really was the one element that we talked about that, that provided like another avenue of attack for the team, which is having a true number nine at the top of the formation. Um, I also agree that, that Kikanovich for as few touches as he had during the match looks really special at times. And I think he adds an element that uh, is necessary for the team to, to find goals and succeed. Cause up until last week, I mean, the Quakes only had uh, like 25 goals or something like that. It was a really low number considering how far along we are in the season. Um, a couple things I want to note about Kikanovich when he was scouted by Reno 1868, when Ian Russell brought him in, um, one of the things that he thought was really special about him was his pace, actually, and his ability to get behind defenders. And, you know, I know that's something we haven't talked about too much in regard to his skill set. Um, but I think it's really important for the team to have that as an option. It's not just Cade Cowell who can get in behind the defenders. Now, another really special thing about this player, which we saw during the match, is his ability to make a quick touch and deliver the ball, uh, you know, spread it out to other parts of the attack which led to the Christian Espinoza goal earlier in the match and got them on the board. So um, I'm going to go ahead and, and you know, get, toss it up to whoever would like to discuss Midji Kikanovich's impact on the team or if anybody has uh, additional thoughts on what I've already said. Yeah, um, there's a thing that you hear Tommy Thompson say a lot. You hear a lot of earthquakes say, just like it's next man up. And I think with the Bobasi gone, there needed to be someone to jump in and really take in that um, – target striker mode in order for San Jose to play the way they wanted to play. And um, yeah, like Benji's really taken it. He also seemed to be the only person that went um, up a man who had any idea of the game state, who had any idea that they should try and possess the ball and try and get it into uh, Austin's corner. Uh, he was hitting the end line really well and kind of getting around defenders when no one else weirdly had any interest in doing that. I'm still not really sure what was going on there. Um, but yeah, he showed really great awareness. I mean, he still definitely has some development to go. I don't think that's any surprise. But um, I, I, he was my man of the match tonight. I think he played an incredible match. Just to add on that, I, I think that there's one element, which is the talent level, and there's another element, which is the role. Uh, Benji has, as you noted, Phil, he probably has deceptive speed because he's a bigger guy. And so maybe you know you could imagine him as being kind of more of a you know, stationary striker, but he does have some speed, but he is physical and he's combative. But the way he plays is, is that, you know, kind of what Asher is getting at is this kind of more of a traditional role where he can hold the ball up, where he can manage the game a little bit. Uh, you know, Wando knows in like in his head, he knows exactly how to manage a game. Thank you everyone for your patience. We will no, begin like as soon as possible. Thank you. Sounds like we'll have uh, the press conference up shortly. Um, Wando knows exactly what to do, but he doesn't have the same physical tools that a young player like Kikanovich, who's bigger than him, faster than him, younger than him, uh, is able to do. And so having that kind of high energy combativeness actually, I think, unlocks players like Shofis, who are kind of the opposite, right? They're the yin and the yang. Um, Shofis doesn't want to do the kind of the crazy combative uh, harrying and pressing uh, that 
Kikanovic does, it opens him up underneath to do so. So I think Kikanovic, you know, even if he didn't have the most impact on the ball in this game, off the ball, he had a lot of impact and having that role kind of brought the best out of other players. And so I think that's something that's important. It's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to see Abobasi. Obviously, it's one of the reasons why it's been so frustrating not to be able to have him for the last couple of games. A uh, quick, quick fact check here as we're rolling along and we move on to the next piece. Chofis was indeed uh, subbed in the 85th minute. Um, that's something that I wanted to the put in The self-fact check. Good man. The second thing, we have been referring to Andy Rios as Andy Rios when we decided last show that we would refer to him as Charlie Brown. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, Colin, let's go ahead and shift over to uh, the other end of the formation, the defensive part. Alex, it looks like you want to chime in as well. So, I do uh, briefly want to chime in. Uh, just to let the audience know that we are going to be speaking to Matias Almeida tonight in the post-match press conference. He oh, was wow. not on the wow. touchline, but it sounds like he wanted to make an appearance, uh, so he will be joining us in the post-match press conference. Is he in Austin? Or is he just going to be like zooming in from his home? This is information I do not have, Asher, he's but I would cool assume he's in Austin. Uh, and so, I don't think he's drinking, but yeah. <laughs> looking forward to that shortly. All right, Colin, uh, uh, we want to talk some defense here. What, what you got? Yeah, well, so Phil and I are, are probably the, the guardians of defensive football, right? On this, and we're, we're the two appreciators of, of the pragmatic game. Um, team and Kinnear. yeah, Team Kinnear, right? Um, one of the things that I actually sort of admired about uh, Almeida through the middle of the season was he recognized that the defensive situation was dire enough that he needed to significantly shift his tactics to fix it um but you know it's like the bed sheet that's too short man uh he did what he could to fix the defensive tactics and it left the attack completely impotent now they've gone the other way they've pulled the sheets back up and their feet are sticking out um and that's what happened today and that's partially a tactical thing uh, but it's also partially an individual uh, performances thing and on the first goal in particular uh, Jite was you know, the commentators were like, oh, Jite found a space in between the center backs. Actually, only one of the center backs was there. Nathan was 10 yards up the field and nowhere near it. He split, you know, the center back and the and the right back, basically. And so there was they were outnumbered on their own back line for that first goal. And you can see Jite like waving to Alex Ring to get this cross in because he had enough time to wave to indicate to Alex Ring, who had his head up and then pick out the, uh, the cross. That should never happen. There should never be enough time for that level of a sequence to happen in that much space. Uh, and, you know, JT gets a hand on that ball, but, you know, can't keep the rebound out. So there is some still individual issues here. You know, Nathan is a good player and has put in some strong performances, but is not perfect. Um, Jackson Ewell really didn't influence the middle of the pitch very much, although they were basically outnumbered effectively um, in the way that the game was going. Uh, but then, you know, it's clearly some tactical issues, too, because there were several times when the midfield uh, was broken apart and the defense basically was kind of left open and exposed. So I think that, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that Matias Almeida is, is long for San Jose. It seems like both parties are kind of going in opposite directions. The next coach is going to have to figure out a way to create some defensive solidity uh, and lessen the vulnerability on set pieces. Uh, without sacrificing the attacking flair. Um, and we just haven't seen it. With this game, uh, you know, it also probably exposed the fact that Tanner Beeson, although he's really good for what he is, which is an MLS draft pick, you know, who wasn't picked in the top 10, he's had a really nice career and he's grown, you know, wonderfully. He's not, you know, a, a top, top, top tier center back. 
Nathan is quite good center back, but not a top, top, top tier center back. I, I would go back out and get another one. So I think a combination of a top level center back uh, addition as well as change of scheme might help. Quite frankly, I think a three at the back scheme is what will make all of this make a lot more sense. That's a fresh take there, Colin, on the addition of center back. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Alex, you have some thoughts. I hope you want more, Phil. You know that. <laughs> Look, I, I, I think that Tanner Beeson, Nathan, both had pretty poor games tonight. I think that we also saw Marcus Lopez get caught out a couple of times, him being so eager to push forward up the left flank. Uh, I thought that Austin were able to exploit that. But for me, the biggest thing was just the fact that Tommy Thompson was a huge weakness and vulnerability for the Quakes back there at right back. Um, I just don't think he has uh, what it takes to play as right back in Major League Soccer. That's not his natural position. I think we've seen time and time again uh, that he gets exposed when he plays at, at right back because he doesn't have the pace. And I think he can get pulled out of position. He was pulled way out of position for, I, I think, Austin's first goal. And uh, I think the Quakes also missed Judson back there. It really felt like they needed somebody uh, in that central midfield to uh, act as a stopgap because uh, we've seen before this combination of Jackson Newell and Eric Rometty is not uh, defensively oriented enough. But I think we have to go to the press conference now. Thank you for being with us tonight following the Quakes' 4 3 win over Austin FC. We're now joined by head coach Marquez Almeida. Uh, so we're going to start with. Questions in English, followed by the questions in Spanish with the transition. So let's go ahead and uh, get started with Alex Moore. Hi, Matias. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, you know, this was a very crazy game, and I can imagine that it must have been frustrating for you uh, not to be able to be there on the touchline uh, with the team. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, what happened with the suspension and, and why you weren't able to be there and then how you experienced the game, you know, where you were watching from and, and what it was like for you watching that game. Bueno, realmente fue un partido, sí, así como lo dijo él, un partido extraño. As you said, it was a strange game. Eh, por algunos, en algunos aspectos veo cosas positivas porque el equipo revirtió la situación. In some aspects I see positive things because the team overcame the situation. En otros aspectos creo que tenemos que seguir mejorando porque si estábamos 4 a 3 con un hombre de más, debería haber sido más tranquilo el partido. And then looking at other things, I think it, it, there's things to correct because if we were um, a man up, we should have been we should have been more calm when we were, it was four three. Y realmente verlo desde un palco no es para mí nada agradable. And for me, watching it in a suite is not a, a nice experience. Sin comunicación con los jugadores, sin comunicación con parte del staff. With no communication with the players, no communication with the staff. Pero estaba tranquilo porque eh, Omar. Se trabaja hace rato conmigo, entonces eh, mira prácticamente con mis ojos. Y no hace falta que estemos sentados juntos. Se movía con libertad. Y yo estaba tranquilo. And I was calm. Con respecto a la expulsión del otro día, the the other day, 
Creo que hubo un malentendido. I think there was a misunderstanding. Respeto las decisiones que se toman. I respect the decisions that they make. A veces las puedo compartir. Sometimes I can Cuando creo que son errores míos. I do not believe there were my mistakes. Y otra vez no la comparto cuando creo que no es un error mío. Pero queda como algo anecdótico y de enseñanza. Por lo general cuando terminan los partidos, cuando terminan los entrenamientos, a la mañana, eh, a la tarde, después del entrenamiento, yo tengo un sector donde fumo. Normally after games, after training sessions, every morning I have a, a designated smoking area. Justo el área esa donde fumo es un área que no puedo estar cuando está el arbitraje. And that, that, that smoking area just happens to be somewhere I cannot be when the official match officials are there. Eh, son cosas que se deberían cambiar para mí. I think these are things that should be changed. Cuanto más relación de respeto y cercana tengamos con todo el arbitraje, creo que es un crecimiento para todos. The more there is uh, respect in the relationship with the, the match officials, I think everybody grows. Son esas cosas que tienen que, eh, que hacer crecer esta liga. These are the things that should make the league grow. Y la falta de respeto no, no está dentro de mi ser. And disrespect is not within my being. Sí está la comunicación. There is communication. Y creo que es mejor porque en todas las ligas del mundo, por lo menos en, en aquellas que he estado yo, hay una comunicación con el arbitraje. Puede estar de acuerdo o no, pero en definitiva una comunicación de respeto. I think there should be communication every league I've been to around the world. There's communication with the match officials uh, as long as there is respect. Porque un árbitro siempre decimos que es un ser humano que se equivoca y acierta. Un entrenador es un ser humano que acierta y se equivoca. Pero el mundo se maneja por la comunicación. But the world is Entonces está bueno poder saludarse. So it's good being able to greet each other. Eh, más allá que estemos de acuerdo no con un solo partido. Pero el saludo para mí es una, un sentimiento de respeto. El saludo cuando uno se da la mano y mira a los ojos es de respeto. Y al mundo le están faltando valores. And the world is missing values. Y el respeto es uno de los valores que está faltando. En todo el mundo, ¿no? Entonces, ojalá que algún día se pueda cambiar y, y podamos tener una... Eh, otro tipo de, de saludo con los árbitros antes de un partido, después de un partido. Y sí estoy de acuerdo cuando uno hace algo que está fuera de lugar, tiene que ser penalizado. Pero uno es un árbitro, el otro es un entrenador, no dos extraterrestres. Todos somos grandes, We're all adults. entonces ojalá que algún día nos podamos saludar. So we can greet each other. Thank you. We're going to now take a question in English by Arch Bell. Arch, go ahead. Muchas gracias. Eh, ¿Es it okay if I ask in Spanish? And then just real quick on Ring's performance. I mean, obviously. Uh, go ahead. Ok, bueno, eh, Matías, felicidades por el triunfo. ¿Qué destaca de este momento de, de Chofis López, de este, este bonito momento de, de Chofis con cinco goles en sus últimos dos partidos? ¿Qué, qué destaca de su momento? 
me da mucha felicidad por él, el sacrificio que hizo para, para venir a San José y para ponerse a, a un buen nivel futbolístico después de un año y medio sin jugar, eh, cambió muchísimo su manera de, de entrenar, de, de vivir el fútbol, eh, su profesionalismo, su tranquilidad, y él sabe que conmigo eh, yo tengo un trato de conocerlo, eh, un trato donde lo puedo aconsejar porque he cometido muchos errores en mi vida y no quiero que él los cometa y quiero verlo como lo veo ahora. Esto me ocasiona mucha felicidad, donde es un jugador joven, un jugador con mucho talento, que en su momento por muchos fue devastado con sus comentarios. Y Chofi es un ser humano que se puede equivocar y puede aprender de sus errores. Al lado mío los aprende y los va a seguir aprendiendo. Pero más aún, al lado mío va a tener la confianza para hacer todo lo que hace. Y me da esta devolución de felicidad porque me ocasiona mucha felicidad verlo jugar. Eh, y me pone feliz por él y por su familia. Conozco a su mamá, conozco a su hija, conozco a su novia, conozco a sus hermanos. Eh, le tengo un gran cariño. Y cuando lo veo que progresa en el fútbol me da mucha felicidad porque está progresando en su vida, que es lo que nadie cuenta. Entonces, ese progreso de vida es el que más me entusiasma. Thank you. We're now going to go back to two English questions by Alex Moyer. Hi, Matias. Thank you for taking more questions. Hi, Alex. My, my first one uh, is that Uh, you know, in the last two games, there had been 14 goals. Um, and, you know, it feels a lot more chaotic, a lot more attacking than it did uh, in the previous game. So I'm wondering if that was something that was intentional on your part, that you wanted to play a more attacking style of play, uh, a more open game, less defensive, or if that was something that surprised you. In the last partido. Hubo eh, 14 goles en total. Eh, son dos partidos, fueron partidos con mucho más caos, con fue mucho más ofensivos. Si fue algo intencional en tu parte o si es algo que te sorprendió de los últimos partidos. No, en realidad me sorprende para bien cuando hacemos goles a favor. Pero son demasiados goles en contra. Algo que habíamos mejorado mucho. Pero bueno, estos dos partidos caímos otra vez en muchos errores individuales y colectivos. Y como siempre digo, mejor corregir sobre un triunfo que ante una derrota. And then my second question, Matías, is that uh, there have been a lot of rumors uh, recently. Uh, linking you and Chivas, uh, and I'm wondering if you want to speak to those uh, those rumors linking you and Chivas. Hay muchos rumores diciendo que está hablando con Chivas, y si es verdad, puedes saber si estás interesado en ir a Chivas. Qué buena pregunta. What a good question. Una excelente pregunta. That's an excellent question. Primero quiero separar para que sepan el sentimiento que yo tengo con Chivas, que es muy grande. Después hay otra cosa. Yo no hablé con nadie. Then there's something else. I never spoke to nadie anybody. habló conmigo. Nobody spoke with me. Y hay un respeto. And there's respect. 
hacia mis jugadores, players, porque yo estoy enfocado acá, here, eh, estoy bien acá, y hay otra cuestión que Chivas tiene un entrenador, y muchos están diciendo que yo hasta estoy poniendo eh, cláusulas para ir a Chivas, es mentira. No hable con nadie, no llame a nadie, nadie me llamó a mí, yo soy entrenador hoy de San José, y Chiva tiene un señor que se llama Bucetich, que tiene una gran historia y yo le deseo que pueda levantar a Chivas. Porque cuando uno es entrenador y se habla tanto así es muy feo, entonces respeten a todos. Respeten a mí, aquellos que mienten, y respeten a Bucetich, aquellos que también mienten. ¿No? Nada va a cambiar en mi vida lo que yo siento por Chivas. Nada ni nadie. No, soy hincha de Chivas. I'm a fan of Chivas. Entonces es un tema aparte. So that's a Pero gracias por, por preguntarme, así se aclara. Me, so y sobre todo, toda la gente de Chivas, la cual eh, le tengo un gran cariño, sabe de mi boca la realidad. Thank you. Hola Matías, ¿cómo estás? Te saluda Salvador Pérez en Ciudad de México. Espero que todo, que todo esté bien. Matías, yo quisiera hacerte dos, dos preguntas. La primera, eh, ¿te incomoda que a pesar de, del buen camino, de, la, de los buenos números que está teniendo Echofis, se le siga criticando? ¿Te incomoda? Eh, ¿Te molesta que se le siga, se le siga criticando? a Javier eh, por su pasado y demás, pues a lo que está haciendo? Mire, yo creo en Dios, y una vez Dios, Jesús, dijo, el que, el que esté libre de pecado que tire la primera piedra. Entonces nadie, nadie es nadie para, para hablar mal de otra persona. Todos los seres humanos tenemos errores. La diferencia que tiene un futbolista o alguien conocido es que sale a la luz, y por eso hay que cuidarse más. Ahora, miremosnos todo para adentro, y digámoslo la verdad. Eh, y él creo que se hizo cargo de sus malos momentos, pero también es lindo reconocerle el buen momento, porque se lo merece, porque de que está acá eh, se alimenta de otra manera, eh, en, se entrena a doble turno, eh, un montón de cosas más que yo sé, y, y que por eso me da mucha... Felicidad verlo así a él y a su familia. Repito, hablo con su madre, hablo con sus hermanos, hablo con su novia, hablo con sus amigos, y todo el mundo sabe yo lo quiero por un buen camino, y todos ellos lo quieren por un buen camino. Eh, así que ojalá que él siga así, ya se dio cuenta de lo bueno y lo malo, entonces, como todo el mundo. Lo malo se deja y lo bueno se sigue eh, profundizando. Y, y la segunda, Matías, eh, te, te quería preguntar, eh, con lo que hemos visto de San José Airways, con lo que estamos viendo de este equipo, ¿qué es lo que se está haciendo con este San José para, para, ver, lo que, para ver ahora sí que todo lo que estamos viendo? No, esto es, San José, nuestro proyecto es mucho más, eh, es diferente a muchos equipos, nosotros estamos haciendo jugar muchos jóvenes, es un equipo que estamos subiendo, algunos de la academia, 
hemos conseguido buenos resultados, otros resultados más o menos, pero nuestro proceso es más lento, eh, pero sí tratamos de, de que los jóvenes ya tengan una identidad propia de lo que es San José, de lo que pretendemos, y bueno, creo que eh, por momentos lo hacemos bien y por momentos nos faltan algunas cositas. Gracias, Miki. Gracias. Thank you, Matias, thank you, Agustin, and thank you, everyone. Uh, we will be bringing in JT Morrison Kelsey shortly. Wow. <laughs> there's, there's a lot there. Alex, uh, I want to go straight to you first because you had a couple of really interesting questions there. Um, just your, your thoughts in regard to Matias' responses during the press conference. I think Matias was in fine form tonight, uh, Phil. That was one of the most enjoyable press conferences I think we've had with Matias uh, for a long while. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I'll start with the Shivas rumors. He was stridently denying them. Uh, is what I took away from uh, that answer. And then uh, early on, he also talked about uh, the match and you know the question that I asked about whether uh, it was intentional or not that the Quakes were playing such a wild attacking style. And he said that he thought it surprised him uh, how he almost wished that they were able to control the game more in the last half hour there. And that was something that I had noticed too, how even though they were up a man, even though they had the lead and it was 4-3, Uh, it felt like they were down a man and they weren't able to control that game defensively. And I know we were just talking about the defense before we went into that press conference. Uh, that's definitely, I think, something that uh, is a concern for me and the Quakes are looking to address on the training field. Certainly. And as we have a sort of a carousel of uh, defensive midfielders going through here as they continually pick up yellow card accumulations and having to kind of switch things up, I mean, that might also be something to consider as well. Um, I'm interested in, in Colin and what your thoughts are regarding some of Matias's comments and uh, as, in terms of the play and some of the, the stuff in regards to, to Chivas. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like he was actually uh, delighted to take the Chivas question. First of all, he clearly has an affection for Alex, which is just great uh, to experience for all of us here. Um, but of course, the way that we, you know, it, it's it's not phrased as a gotcha question. And so it really gave him the opportunity to dispel it. And I think that he did a good job of both saying like, yeah, Chivas matters a lot to me. It's in, you know, he's a very passionate, you know, loyal man, uh, but that dividing these like, I will always have a place for it in my heart, but that's not where my project is right now. Well done. Um, the Spanish answers he had that we didn't have translated, first of all, the chat is going to have to help me out here because my Spanish is limited, but they both nominally were about Sofis Lopez. The first one was, um, it was so clear that for him, Sofis' uh, transformation was kind of a personal and, and mental transformation, you know, something that was about the confidence and the comfort. And he talked about how happy he was for his family and for, you know, that he could reach the success. And I think that kind of speaks to a lot of what we've heard about Sofis for a long time, which is we know he is skilled. That is not the issue. And it was about getting him in the right state of mind. So that was kind of nice. Then the second answer about Sofis, he basically took it straight to a place of faith. Uh, and that was kind of, again, to me, spoke to it, you know, the, the way that that Almeida sees management and his position as a manager. Um, again, chat's going to have to help me out here. Um, but it, it's a it was a really interesting array of questions. Um, he obviously dwelled significantly upon uh, the reason that he was suspended for this match, mostly saying I accept responsibility. But, you know, 
it wrote more of a novel about it. I, I think there's more to unpack there, Colin. I think there's oh, yeah. more to unpack. I, I think I think it's worth dwelling on this just because, and I, I want to run this, bounce this off of you guys. It sounded like he said that he was having a smoke after the game in an area that he wasn't allowed to and tried to shake hands with the referee and greet him. And uh, that was not allowed. And that was the cause for the red card. Um, but it was such a long-winded, entertaining story that I want to make sure I get those basic facts right. Yeah, and, and I know that Almeida in his life has been a smoker. I actually don't know if he still is, um, but it was it was a, I think I would, <laughs> I'm curious to hear what the real story is there. I feel like getting a, a TikTok readout of exactly, sorry, TikTok in the traditional sense, meaning like a minute-by-minute minute readout, not now, of course, we have this app. Uh, this shows how old I am. Uh, but I'll hand it over to the other old guy, Asher Cohn, who was who looked like he was dropping in. Ah, oh, thanks. Um, yeah, it wasn't because Augustina clearly translated smoke, and the people in the chat were saying that it's more of this like cooling off, like letting the smoke get off me, sort of thing. Um, you know, you would think that Augustin would know if this is like a usual like post game routine. Um, but he also this is like the most emotional I've heard Augustin throughout any press conference. He seemed like he was trying to catch up with both that and with the Chief House response. Um yeah, I'm gonna need to like listen to that again, I think, after tonight, figure out what exactly happened, or hopefully we can talk to someone to figure it out. Um hopefully we'll find out the answer. But uh yeah, I definitely think it was interesting getting, um, you know, Almeida tonight. He's definitely different than he is after most matches, I think, because he wasn't actually part of it. Maybe that was why he was a little bit more emotional or whatever it was. Um, but it definitely, um, I feel like, gave us an insight to what it's like to be in that locker room. You know, he couldn't maybe talk to his players, so he was talking to us instead uh, in a little bit of a way. Uh, but it was um, really got a, a little glimpse into his passion, what he brings. And, uh you know, it seems like this team kind of runs on passion sometimes, but hey, if that's the passion, then maybe it'll work. It's uh should be an interesting final ten games here. You know what I what I find a little interesting too is uh, the mention of the uh, interim coach here or the, or the replacement coach for the game, the substitute, if you would, Omar uh, Zarif and Matias, kind of mentioning him in terms of like an extension of himself being there. Um, although I don't I don't know that I quite uh, agree with with that assessment in terms of like how. Um, the the substitutions were made, like the sort of the pace of the game, the control of the game. I don't know that we necessarily saw what we would have seen from Matias Almeida. So as we shift gears here, this is kind of what I'm interested in hearing from you guys and kind of what the team looked like and how the game changed up as uh, Omar Zarif uh, comes in and takes control of the match here. Asher. Yeah, I think the team played without a six in a lot of ways. Both um, Yule and Remedi, like kind of played a little bit more advanced and neither of them are really controlling the midfield. And we spoke about this before at the defense. I mean, there just hasn't been um, any kind of like metronome, anyone dictating the pace of the game. That's sort of been Judson when he's in, but it's tough when there's a different midfield between national team duty and yellow card seemingly every match. Um, they just haven't been able to figure out responsibilities. And it's really shown this past couple of nights. I mean, this is not a good, Austin team. They were able to just kind of like make runs off the ball, open up the flanks. Um, and really it all came out of the midfield. It reminded me of like watching the 2018 Quakes in a lot of ways. Um, oh, yeah. I don't, sorry, go ahead, Phil. 
Oh no, I was just in a, in agreement with you there, um, Asher. And and it's interesting that you mentioned the 2018 quakes particularly because I was going to reference the article that Jamin Moore wrote in 2018 in regards to Zone 14, which is that very particular area that you're referencing, um, in which the the number six defensive midfielder would typically kind of take control in front of the back yeah. four. And so I, I no, did exactly. Think, yeah, oh. I, and I thought that was a huge difference too. And I was kind of alluding to that earlier. And I'm glad you brought that point up so eloquently because I think that's worth mentioning here. And that was a huge difference. And actually, Danielle Slayton mentioned that during the broadcast. She said, where's the communication between Jackson Yule and the back four? This is like a huge issue here. And as you mentioned, against a team like Austin FC, it's kind of like they should be doing better in that zone of the field. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to add here, but I think I, I kind of lost my train of thought in, in regard to that defensive midfield position. But it looks like JT Marcinkowski is with us. So we'll go ahead and shift over there. Thank you, everyone, for your patience. We are now joined by goalkeeper JT Marcinkowski. Let's go ahead and jump right into questions with Alex Morgan. Hi, JT. Thank you for joining us tonight, and congratulations on the victory. Um, that was quite a crazy game. Uh, I'm curious if you can walk me through it, what it was like for you, and how your strategy uh, as a team changed over the course of the 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think the strategy didn't really change too much, to be honest. We just didn't play a good first half, and... Uh, we came in at halftime and we knew that we could play so much better. And, uh, you know, it's that same belief, that same same unity that we always have. Guys were pretty frustrated at halftime and we uh, <clears throat> talked about it and we were just like, we just got to get back to playing and being like ourselves. Uh, I didn't think we were in the first half. I thought we were pretty passive and kind of let the game come to us instead of, uh, you know, really bringing ourselves into the game. And we did that in the, the second half, but the last 15 20 minutes I don't think was was great either and uh, something definitely to work on. Thank you, JP. This question comes from Ted Ramey. He asks, can you talk about the resiliency the team displayed to rally back from a two-goal deficit? Yeah, resiliency is a great word. Um, I think it's something that we always talk about in our locker room is just the, the belief and fight back and I think just the will to win. Um, I think we've been in so many close games this year and I think we've been a little bit uh, hesitant or been missing the, the final pass or the final goal or um, the final save from me. And um, I think tonight we showed that we can do it and we, we have nine games left to show it and show the rest of the league that um, I think we're a team to, to really watch out for. Thank you, JT. Let's go back to Alex Morgan. Hi, JT. Thanks for taking another question. Um, you know, you got the victory tonight. You got the three points, but you did allow three goals and you know on top of the four goals uh, in the last match against rsl um i'm curious from your perspective you know why you think in these last two games uh the defense has allowed more goals because you know before then you guys had had a, a pretty solid back line hadn't been allowing that many goals so i'm wondering if that's because you guys are playing with more attacking style of play more like abandoned going forward or what you think the cause of that change is? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I think you kind of hit some of the points. Um, I think we'll have to watch the game back and kind of dissect really the points where we can improve. Um, I think it's too, too early to say now. And I don't, I know, um, I would say, I would say like I'm not fully uh, in the right frame of mind to kind of totally dissect the game and dissect the first half, but um, you're right. I think letting seven goals in in two games isn't good enough. And um, I look at myself first. I think, you know, my, maybe my communication needs to be better. There's a lot of things that I can improve. And then 
um, if it takes the entire team as well. Thank you, JT. Our final question of the night comes from Marco Ukalovic. He asks, how great has it been to watch Trophies perform these past two games and score five goals this week? Yeah, Lalo is a special talent. Uh, we see it every day in training. Uh, he comes in every single day and works hard. Um, he's one of the nicest people I've ever been around. Um, you know, he's committed to the team. He's puts in 100% every single day, every session, every gym session. Um, you know, a player of his quality, it's, we talk about it a lot that, you know, you can't teach his left foot. Uh, the things that he can do with the ball, the the way that he can move his body in space and um, around defenders is, is really special. And so, I think it's kind of been culminating. Uh, the past few games have been really good, and um, I think well-deserved for him because he's putting, putting in a lot of effort and a lot of work, and um, I think it's it's not going to slow down now, and I think uh, he's coming into form at a really good time. All right. Thank you, JT, and thank you all for joining us tonight. We will see you on Wednesday. Thank you, everybody. Short and sweet. Um... Wow, he says Chofis is one of the nicest people he's ever been around. That's pretty incredible. Since Lalo is one of the nicest people he's ever been around. Got extra nicknames for him. <laughs> That's By cool, the way, man. JT, um, we didn't get oh, as JT just there, but uh, he he to me seems like future captain in a way that even that Jackson Ewell doesn't, and the way that he addresses willingly goes to the media is very comfortable in front of them. He kind of has that leadership quality, which is nice to see as he's kind of transitioning from a young prospect keeper to kind of, you know, the guy. And I, I will add that from what I have heard, the scenes in the locker room after the game uh, were very celebratory, kind of insane in the locker room. So for him to be able to step out of that uh, environment and give us that sort of sober analysis um, and also to have the self-awareness about uh, what answers he could not give given sort of that frame of mind I thought that was excellent leadership qualities uh, from JT and I, I think he's a really good uh, representative of this team I uh, made the remark in the Slack, but I don't think I've seen a better two-game performance from someone who's given up seven goals. Um, a lot of them are just like really point-blank shots and stuff, but he's made some incredible saves. His distribution's been uh, really on point. Uh, end of the game, I think there could have been some fixes there. I think everyone on the team could have some fixes, but uh, he's really been impressive this past couple of months, um, especially because he kind of had a rougher start to the season. I, I totally agree. Once he, well, actually, the, Phil, if you don't mind, I'm going to allow this to transition us into a new topic here. Perfect. Um, but uh, so exactly what Asher was saying that uh, or what it reminded me of is that we had that really remarkable press conference with JT uh, a couple of weeks back uh, where he basically talked about like uh, we were asking him, you know, what's changed between the time when you were not doing as well at the beginning of the year and having a strong run over the summer. And he talked exclusively about mentality and working on the mental part of his game and confidence and the like. Um, and that resonated for me. And it also kind of resonated for me because Matias Almeida is definitely not a tactics first coach. He's not a chess master who's, you know, uh, all his time is spent trying to figure out how to tactically win the chessboard. He's about putting players in the right frame of mind, inspiring them, you know, making them confident uh, and, 
it comes in the fact that, for example, he is so much more forgiving of errors than many other head coaches are. He frequently talks about errors being something to learn from uh, and the thing, uh, a challenge to be able to go back out there uh, and attempt the same thing that you made an error on the first time and get it right the next time. So he's very much a mental game coach. And I think that for the players that what they really needed was mental transformation, uh, those are the players that you've seen make huge leaps forward under Almeida when they've bought in and they've gotten that. Shofis, you know, he needed to focus on soccer and, you know, put himself in a better path in life. Almeida has got him there. Uh, JT, it wasn't the same transformation, but he needed confidence. You know, he got him there. There are absolutely some tactical issues here. I think that Jackson Ewell's initial development at Almeida was very good. This game, he wasn't very good. And to be honest, this season, he hasn't been nearly as good as he was in prior ones. I think that it might take a more tactically astute coach to get the best out of him uh, going forward. So I think that's one of the interesting things to watch is the players have been developing because they've been they've been inspired and given confidence and put in the right mental frame of mind. Um, you know, and the people who respond to that versus the ones who maybe it's a more of a tactical issue. Uh, so that was just something I think about. I think it applies to a lot of players in this team. And we have one more topic to discuss here, and this is going to go back to some of the comments that were made earlier in the show in the YouTube chat. Um, Asher, you had some interest in responding to Tommy Thompson's performance for this match after uh, coming off like an extended break. And, um, you know, I'm, we're all curious to hear what you think about it, whether or not you agree with the assessment that he's fallen from grace since, uh, you know, being considered a, a phenom or a, a wonderkind, if you would, at the, you know, at the beginning of his career for the team. Yeah, I mean, if you're going back to 2016, sure, there might be a fall from grace, but um, I think he had a really, really solid shift tonight, especially considering it was his last first game in you know months. Uh, I you know disagree with Alex there. I think that um, he was really valuable in the buildup. They had a really tough time getting any buildup going, but he um, he was really solid. He was able to make good runs to open up space for uh, Fierro, who wasn't able to do much with it uh, for the second game in a row, unfortunately, and then uh, later you're late in the game for Chofis, Espinosa, and Cowell. Um, you know, he can be – he's not the most defensive solid, defensively solid right back, uh, and Lopez same left back, but they're really um, – San Jose is getting found out when people are able to pick out passes because they're now able to control the middle of the field. It really comes back to the middle of the field for them defensively, and they need to sort that out. Um, but I think it's going to be really good to have Tommy – Back there, I think he just brings a lot more in the attack than Apicasis does, um, or than Marie does, and uh, he's just able to kind of keep things together, you know, with the mentality the column's talking about. I think it's going to be really valuable for the stretch run. Great, uh, thanks for that, Asher. I'm going to go ahead and open up to any uh, rebuttals if anybody wants to respond in regards to thoughts on Tommy Thompson. If not, we can go ahead and move to the last section of the show. If I may repeat myself in some ways, it's kind of a tactical thing. Tommy Thompson is a certain kind of player. If you're asking him to do well, so first of all, to Asher's point, there's he hasn't played in a really long time. So you're not going to expect to see his sharpest performance. Uh, we know what his skills are, we know what his weaknesses are. If he's put in the right position, he's going to give you, you know, he can he's really good on the ball. He can combine with other people and he can defend adequately. It's not, a, but that's not his strength. So you put him in a position where that's where he's asked to do, you're going to get the most out of him. I think that that's something that we've seen a lot throughout this year is when players are put in positions that don't suit their strengths. Jackson Ewell has been played at the 10 numerous times this season uh, in, a, in a way that to me is baffling. Um, you have a 
to a double pivot tonight that doesn't adequately shield the back line that now has switched back to a four back rather than three at the back. You have Tanner Beeson uh, in a, you know, in a partnership rather than a trio where he's looked really good in the three, you know, Alanis has looked really good as the deepest man. I, I just think that this is a matter of, whereas conversely on the other side of the ball, you have uh, Benji Kikanovic with Shofis underneath him. That's a perfect tactical relationship. So I think that, you know, sometimes we we criticize players for their performances when it's really more about the positions they're being put into. Uh, and so that's something I would always be cognizant of. Yeah. And I would like to also um, add a little bit there on the on your thoughts about Tanner Beeson playing a bit of a different role with the partnership rather than the three. Um, there's a really good article on Quakes Epicenter right now written by Asher on, on how uh, Tanner Beeson's involvement in the attack has kind of uh, added another dimension to the team as well. So I want to shout that out. And if, you know, anybody who's listening right now, take a moment to go to quakesepicenter.com and check out some of the articles there because they're really great. And that latest one from Asher is one of them. So we're moving on to the final section of the show here, our final thoughts after the match. I'm going to go over to Alex Morgan first because we haven't heard from you in a minute, Alex. So your final thoughts regarding the team or anything that we said on the show today or anything from the press conference? I mean, that was just a huge win, Phil. I think it's hard to overstate the importance of that second half turnaround. Uh, it felt like if they lost that game, uh, that a lot of fans, I think, were ready to give up on this team uh, and were ready to consign the Quakes to another sort of unfulfilling, fruitless season. But uh, the way that this team turned the game around in the second half showed a lot of grit uh, and uh, a lot of... Uh, I just think energy and vitality and it shows that they're not out yet, that they still have the ability and the talent within this team uh, to turn games around like that. And that's a, a good sign for the Quakes. It, it the three points keeps them within touching distance, I think of that playoff position. And so uh, they have two tough games ahead of them. They're going to play LAFC Seattle Sounders uh, and you know, this performance gives me a little more hope that they'll be able to take some points away from those games because we're getting to the point in the season uh, where there's really no room for error at this point. Great. Thanks for that, Alex. Uh, let's go ahead and go over to Colin Etnire. Your final thoughts regarding uh, this match against Austin FC? I mean, I think I think this showed what the team is, which is a and by the way, I think we still got Alex on the screen. So I'm just going to ventriloquism through him. <laughs> um this game in some ways showed us what this team is, which is they actually do have talent at some key positions uh, that could, you know, be playoff level. Um, but within the game, we get a microcosm of the season, which is, you know, they, they can't cover all sides of the ball. Uh, they're deeply inconsistent. And I think that's just the, the nature of it. And now they have a very narrow path uh, to get back to the playoffs. I think it's somewhat improbable that they do. Uh, and even if they do, it's hard to imagine this, you know, team being contenders of any shape, way, shape or form. You know, quite frankly, this is a team that has shown us some life and given us some entertainment and given us some reason to hope for the future. Um, but I think that I think that a new leaf will have to be turned for them to ever take a step beyond this, you know, barely in contention for the playoffs thing that they've been in for, you know, a half decade now. Some sobering thoughts there, Colin, um, after, a, after a win on the road, but uh, I agree nonetheless. Let's go ahead and go over to Asher Cohn uh, to get your final thoughts on, on the match here, Asher. Yeah, I think um, this team's entertaining. If you review your soccer watching experience as a TV show, where you look for two hours of entertainment once or twice a week, I think you're going to get it with San Jose. Uh, they're fun to watch 
and uh, weird stuff happens. Uh, if you're watching them as a athletic club, they're not in control of game states. They're barely in control of themselves, as we uh, see with uh, countless yellow cards and even red cards against the bench. Uh, and then they just completely botch being up a man and up a goal for the last 20 minutes of the game. Uh, it's a lot of fun watching this game for me. As someone who didn't grow up an Earthquakes fan, you know, my entire heart and life isn't in it. Is this for a lot of ultras? Is for a lot of the watchers? I don't know how you all do it. I don't know if you have to join Almeida in the smoking room after every match. I can't imagine uh, doing it as that sort of uh, fan, but it'll be a really interesting end of the season. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's also going to be just incredibly frustrating at times. But I do think that you know, at the end of the season, if they're able to sneak into playoffs, there's a lot of teams that are terrified of a dead ball or trophies on the run, and just that might be all it takes uh, to really get on a run and even have more fun and keep the uh, TV show going for a few more episodes. <laughs> all right. Um, I just want to say this has been a great four-person panel tonight. Thank you all for your contributions to the show. It's been really wonderful. Um, I d my last thought regarding the matches, I think going into the last nine games of the season, uh, we really should see more of Benji Kakanovich at the number nine position. I think he's proven that he adds another dimension to the attack that had been missing throughout the season that we had expected from Jeremy Abobasi. But now that he is out with uh, looks like a concussion um, injury with a head injury. Uh, and, and once we have more information on that, we will report that as well during the week um, that we're going to need to see Benji up there. And I think he has more to offer to this team. I think Ian Russell noted it earlier on when he was coaching him with Reno 1868. Um, and it's, it's going to be pretty exciting to see what he can bring, especially pairing up with uh, Christian Espinoza or Cade Cal on the wings or seeing Chofis as an inverted winger coming from the right and using that, that, nifty left foot that he has and, and delivering some balls there into the 18 yard box. Um, and so I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Make sure you check out our website, www.quakesepicenter.com, where you can find articles from our brilliant writers. You can get information about uh, the current salary, uh, the budget, how it's being used. Colin Etnire's spreadsheet is up there on the website as well. And uh, follow us on social media at Quakes Epicenter. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to contribute to our show, you can become a patron to help us continue to produce content through Quake's Epicenter and the Aftershock. You can go to quakesepicenter.com slash Patreon. You can see it there at the bottom of the screen um, where for $2 a month, you can contribute, become a patron, and you can get early access to our articles and the pictures taken by our photographer, Aaron Morgan, at the matches. Uh, for $5 a month, you can join our, our Patreon Slack for Quake's Epicenter patrons uh, who pay $5 a month. And we have a lot of great takes on there, a lot of uh, awesome discussions and some really serious um, input from, from the fans who follow Quake's Epicenter and the San Jose Earthquake. So I want to uh, pitch that really quickly and try to get some more of you guys on there because it is a really awesome place to join the chat. Um, Alex, it looks like you have one more thing to say as we head out here. I do have a little postscript, uh, which is that uh, Shea Salinas has been out for the last couple of weeks with an undisclosed injury, but I have heard that he is hoping to return to training uh, this next week, uh, which is a positive thing. And uh, we obviously wish him all the best. He's been a fantastic uh, player for the San Jose Earthquakes over the last couple uh, years, last decade, really. Uh, and so that's a, a good, good news for this team. 
Thank you for that, Alex. Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a great show. And we'll be back on Saturday, September 25th, after the LAFC game at home uh, for the San Jose Earthquakes. So thank you for tuning in.